even though I know that these tools are available, when I'm going to go and buy an asset, I will not go and buy an asset hoping that it will perform. I am going to buy an asset based on its current performance, and I will take a loan on it based on its current performance. Welcome to the Immigrant Doctor Podcast, a podcast for financially focused immigrant physicians and other medical professionals looking to learn investing in the U.S. market and achieving financial freedom. Join Avishkar, the immigrant doctor, as he talks to high achievers and go-getters who unravel their journeys, hardships, and successes, helping you to get your financial freedom. To learn more, go to theimmigrantdoctor.com. Hi, friends. Welcome to this episode of the Immigrant Doctor Podcast. Um, you know, today I want to talk about a very important topic. Um, I basically want to talk about debt and how it impacts us as investors and the whole idea behind debt. Um, the reason why I bring this up is because um, a lot of times we have these fears about debt because essentially we're taking money from somebody and then we owe to pay that back with an interest on top of it. Um, the interest rate, of course, varies depending on what uh, type of loan you have, who's uh, you know lending you the money. But but it's important to understand that, especially with real estate, uh, debt is a very very important tool to have, and it's a very important tool for you to grow. Sure, you can go ahead and buy uh, real estate with all your cash, but then that really limits your ability to get you know bigger, larger assets, scale faster. This, the pace is going to be very very slow. Um, and this ties into the whole ideology behind money and how you know debt can help you. Um, and so I wanted to, to to you know and so I wanted to cover this topic and um, kind of allay some of the fears around debt. So basically, let's start by talking about what debt is. Essentially, it's uh, you know you take money, borrow money from somebody, and then you promise to pay it back with a with a certain interest tied to it, uh, which is a cost of borrowing money. That's essentially what debt is. A lot of times, especially as as an immigrant, as coming you know coming from India, for me growing up, debt was always a bad thing. Um, I was always taught that never be in debt. You know, always always pay your dues. Make sure you have enough, sustain yourself, and then you go and do whatever you need to do beyond that. So never be in debt. Uh, when I moved to the U.S., uh, you know, the whole concept of using credit cards was relatively new to me. Again, I will not say it's new because I was still using it in India. But um, but it was the way it's used here, the way I leverage money now is very different from what was taught to me as a kid, as growing up. Um, and so when I came here, I realized the power of debt and uh, both good and bad, by the way. So I have heard horror stories of people going into debt and then defaulting and then filing for bankruptcy and then, you know, their credit, go- credit scores going down the drain. And the flip side of it is that if you're responsible with it, you can really, really scale up pretty fast and you can really grow wealth pretty fast. And I think um, the fear of death, um, and I think the fear of debt comes from the fact that, you know, you're owing somebody money and then you have to pay it back. But keep in mind that when you're using this debt smartly, as in you're arbitraging the debt, so to say, wherein you're putting the money to work in an in an investment uh, or or in a vehicle that's going to give you more money in return than you know say the interest payment or whatever then you're actually using it to help you grow right um and so 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 debt becomes very very important uh, now again there are different types of debt right so i already talked about the good debt the good debt would be basically debt 
that makes you money. So you put it in an investment, and that investment is giving you a higher return than what you owe to the bank, whether in a lump sum or or you know monthly payments. So that's going to be good debt because you're using the money that's available to you um, to grow your wealth, to grow your investments. Bad debt would be you use that money to buy, uh, say, a luxury good. That's not making you money in any which way. That's bad debt because that money that you borrowed from somebody else, now you bought something with it, that's not getting you the returns, right? So it's basically fulfilling your wants and desires, which are not getting you the end result of making you more money, creating wealth for you. And that essentially would be bad debts. So, you know, you go buy fancy cars by borrowing money, you go buy fancy purses uh, by borrowing money, and uh, and you you know you're you're having a hard time making your payments. That's bad debt. I'm not saying buying fancy cars is bad, and I'm not saying from buying fancy purses is bad. Keep in mind, you should absolutely do that if you want to do that. But you know, employ the right techniques and uh, the the you know the right ways to do it, and that would be employing or deploying debt to help you grow your investments and uh, and help those investments pay for your for your needs or for your wants, right? Um, so uh, so let's talk about you know interest rates and let's talk about mortgage payments. Uh, and I wanted to touch on this because you know when we bought our house, uh, we put a 15-year mortgage on it. And the idea that I had was that uh, a 15-year mortgage, I'll probably end up saving whatever XYZ amount of money versus a 30-year mortgage, which I'm paying over 30 years. And uh, you know now I'm realizing that well, I probably should not have done that. I probably should have taken a 30-year mortgage. And, you know, uh, the reason being that even though I would have paid a lot of a lot more money over time, but that would have been over 30 years and not today. So that would have given me more cash available to actually put into investments than it would, uh, you know, right now where I have a 15-year mortgage and I'm paying a higher higher monthly payment for it. So that is very important to understand um, that, you know, it's not just about the total amount of interest that you pay on a debt. Also, the fact that how much is the monthly payment that you're making on your debt? And will you be able to use that to kind of leverage and and get, get better investments that can give you a higher return? And that's why a lot of times, you know, when we go into real estate, uh, we talk about you're taking a, uh, I'm talking about you know small multifamily, single family. Basically, if you're getting a residential loan, typically it'll be a 30-year mortgage, right? We want a 30-year mortgage. We we don't want a 15-year mortgage. The reason being that uh, over the 30 years, your monthly payment is going to be lower versus a 15-year mortgage or a 10-year mortgage or a five-year mortgage for that matter, right? So, sure, it's great to pay off everything faster, but then you're losing out on the cash flow. And when you lose out on the cash flow, guess what happens? Say, God forbid, you're defaulting on, you know, if something happens and you're not able to pay your mortgage that month, then what happens? The bank is going to come and foreclose on your property. And that's not a good thing because, you know, you worked so hard to get an asset um, under your belt, but now because you're not able to meet the mortgage requirements, the bank is coming and taking over the asset, right? So, So it's important to understand that, you know, theoretically, it's great that you have, you know, uh, lesser payments and lesser headaches with a, sh- a smaller mortgage. But actually, the flip side is true. It, it actually might give you more headaches and uh, more anxiety of having a mortgage versus having it over 30 years. 
uh, which is you know which would be ideal because you you want the longest term possible. Um, this gives you a lot of leeway. Uh, this gives you a lot of ways to you know work around things and uh, and make things work for you. And uh, not only that, it you know it gets you cash flow now. Say everything is going fine, right? So the cash flow is going to be much higher with a longer mortgage, which is going to let you grow your wealth faster because then you can deploy that money towards other investments. So I want to talk about interest rates and how they impact us as investors, right? So we've seen in the last few uh, months and over the last year that the interest rates have actually gone up and they've gone up significantly. So that means the cost of borrowing money has really gone up. Well, you know, we talk about why have they gone up? Because the bank has to set interest rates based on certain factors. There's the prime rate that the Fed sets. Then there's also the inflation that is there in the market because at the end of the day, the bank is also in the business of making money. They take money from us, we store it in the bank, but guess what? Their business is to actually lend out money so that they can make money. And when they're lending out money, they have to account for the inflation that's actually in the market so that they make a positive return on the money that they're lending out. So basically, that's why we're seeing a rise in interest rates. Well, what that does in turn for us is it makes money more expensive for us. So our borrowing power actually decreases and hence we're able to buy what we were able to buy a few months ago or a year ago has suddenly gone down to what we can buy now because the same amount of money costs a lot more um, to to borrow, right? And that's how uh, the interest rates or the rise in interest rates, uh, you know, um, affect us as investors. But on the flip side, what happens to the sellers when the interest rates go up like this? Suddenly, the assets that we're selling for an XYZ price are not attractive anymore at that price to the buyers. Why? Because the interest rates have gone up and the mortgage payments are not affordable because the with the interest rates rising, the property or the asset will not be able to support um, those mortgage payments and still maintain a positive cash flow. So the sellers have to come down on, a pro- on their price uh, when they are uh, when they are you know selling the, the the asset, and that's what we you know commonly say that the cap rates are expanding. So what we saw in the last few years was the cap rates contracting or compressing. That means the prices of the property were very high, and that was primarily because of the low interest rates that we saw in the market. There was a lot of activity, uh, a lot of economic activity happening. There was this was done to push, uh, you know, after the the crash in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. This was done to actually boost uh, economic activity. And now with the inflation going up, we are seeing that they had to increase the Fed had to increase the interest rates to kind of slow down the economic activity. Uh, that helps us as buyers too, because now the cap rates are expanding. That means we buy the asset at a lower price. There's a lot of fear in the market right now because people are talking about this recession happening and and you know the interest rates rising. Um, but I think uh, it it also helps us as buyers because we can now go in and challenge the sellers to try and buy the same asset for less. Um, and when the market cycle changes. We we are able to sell it for a better price, so so that's that in a nutshell is how you know debt works for us or works against us. It's important to be savvy and smart about debt. One thing I want to mention over here is variable debts, and that's a tool that we do not necessarily see in um, in this you know small multifamily or the residential space. 
but in the commercial space, people had bought variable debts in the last few years. Um, what basically that means is that you buy the debt, but it's at a very low rate for now. But the idea is that after a year, two years, or three years, depending on the terms of the loan, um, the rate will go back to market rate. When people bought this, some people b- were smart about it and they bought it with rate caps. What rate caps are, they said, well, you know what, we're going to buy a rate cap for three years, so that the mo- we're going to pay money to the bank so that we can cap the rate uh, at whatever it is right now for the next three years or four years or whatever, uh, regardless of what the market does. Those people who capped it would have cash flowed. But now what's happened is some people did not um, buy rate caps. When you don't buy rate caps, you have to go to back to the market rate. All of a sudden, that asset that you paid XYZ amount for, and you bought it at, a, say, a 2%, 3% interest rate, all of a sudden now, if you didn't have the rate caps, all of a sudden the, the interest rates have gone up to 5%, 6%. And now those assets don't make sense. They are losing money. So you are actually forced to sell the asset in that situation or do something else or have capital calls from investors um, so that you can offset the mortgage payments till the interest rates settle down. And that's one of the challenges that uh, a lot of investors are facing right now. And um, that's one of the reasons why we are expecting that the market is going to soften and it's going to become better for, for buyers, for, you know, for us as investors. Uh, in the near in, in the coming months folks i just wanted to remind you if you haven't done that already head on over to www.theimmigrantdoctor.com uh, i have created a free video resource for you guys it's a small course that i've created on investing in real estate it's not very extensive but it just gives you a flavor of what investing in real estate looks like um, so that you can get started get more comfortable with the terms around real estate and get more comfortable with some of the facets of real estate so go to www.theimmigrantdoctor.com to download this free resource. You know, now I want to focus on the psychology of debt because I think that's very important. We've talked about some of the nuances, some of the basics of how debt works. But more important than that is understanding the whole psychology of how debt works and how we think about debt. Um, I know that there are a lot of fears about debt and I just want to try and understand and try and explain. And I just want to try and explain how how to allay those fears and how these fears may be unreasonable um, at times. Basically, I think the fear stems from the fact that there were a lot of foreclosures that happened in 2008, 2009. It was a big downturn. A lot of people who were in debt actually lost everything that they had. And I would say that was probably because they were not smart enough to take on debt responsibly. Um, A lot of times people feel, feel that all debt is bad. Well, not necessarily, you know. Um, you can use debt responsibly, understand the underwriting of an asset that you're buying, whether it's whether you're buying a stock, whether you're buying a real estate product, whatever you're buying, uh, you know any investment that you make with any money, whether it's debt or not debt, you have to understand what's going to be the return on that investment. And that due diligence is key when you're using somebody else's money, which in this case is debt, of course, uh, you have to do your due diligence with the asset. You have to understand how debt plays into this whole situation. And you cannot go in hoping for the best to happen, right? You have to have some knowns. Some some things are not going to be known and some things are going to be unknown. Um, of course, there can be downturns, but there are ways to safeguard yourself against those downturns 
And understanding all of this, understanding the downsides more so than the upsides is what is key, especially when you're using debt. Um, you know, the other thing is that people talk about uh, credit cards and not carrying credit cards. I think um, the reason why I bring up credit cards in this real estate investment is because there's another way of using credit cards, and I have done it. Myself, a lot of credit cards actually give you 0% APR loans. That's essentially giving you free money to use uh, for XYZ amount of months, right? What that does for you is it's giving, letting you borrow money to do something useful with it. So you go buy an asset with it, or you put it into a rehab, that's helping you improve your NOI. Now, of course, the expectation is going to be to pay it off eventually. It's not an endless, you know, nobody's gifting you money, but but that can be used smartly, especially for short term. So so that that is another important thing to understand about, about debt, the fact that you can actually leverage credit cards. And I know a lot of people have done that. Um, I know Brandon Turner talks about doing it uh, when he just started out. I have done it in my life. I've used credit cards. Um, to help me in my investments so that I can pay for it instead of you, you know, borrowing it from the bank, which I still have to pay uh, an interest on. And so essentially, if they're giving you free money to use it, I would use it all day. Um, then there's a fear of, of course, you know, never getting out of debt at all. And that's okay. That's okay. As long as you're making money, as long as your assets make money, why does it matter whether you're in debt or not? And that again comes back to the fact that you have this fear that God, for, you know, God forbid something's going to happen I'm going to lose everything. The The flip side of this is also the fact, uh, and this is key to understand, uh, one, of the, and one of the reasons why I'm actually scaling to larger multifamily is the fact that when you're taking out a loan against a business or a commercial uh, real estate, you can actually take out a non-recourse loan. What that basically means is that the, uh, the loan is tied to the asset. Of course, there are, there are you know, some, some caveats to that loan. There are some things that you need to do to ensure that it stays tied to the asset um, and doesn't you know, affect your personal credit or your personal life. So say, God forbid, something happens to the asset and it's not performing, right? Since it's tied to the asset, it's tied to that business, it doesn't affect you personally. It doesn't affect your personal life. Then the, the bank will not come in and foreclose on your house. The bank will probably take over the asset. And that's what's going to happen. You are still going to be safeguarded. Your other investments can be safeguarded. And again, this all ties into the fact that you need to have that understanding of how to set these things up properly so that everything is isolated and boxed in so that you are not personally liable for all of this. Understanding the terms that the bank is offering you so that you are able to respect those terms and make sure that you're doing the right thing. If you do the right thing with the with the debt, act responsibly, especially a non-recourse loan, uh, you know it should not come and affect you personally in most of the situations. Um, even in you know even if you had a personal loan, say for example for a smaller asset, or you had a re, you know you you bought a single family or you bought a, a small multifamily, you have a personal loan against the asset. There are ways of. Uh, negating those situations wherein you say, God forbid, it's not performing, you have to actually sell the asset or do something with it. There are still ways of uh, of dealing with those situations. I will not get into those uh, technical details because, again, understanding that there are tools available to you is important. And knowing the fact that you can deploy these tools as and when necessary is also important. 
But I want to highlight this point that even though I know that these tools are available, when I'm going to go and buy an asset, I will not go and buy an asset hoping that it will perform. I am going to buy an asset based on its current performance and I will take a loan on it based on its current performance. Uh, the other fun thing actually about buying larger multifamily, which I'm focusing on now, is the fact that if it's not performing, the bank will not lend money to you. They have their own underwriting. They do their own due diligence. They do their own numbers. And they figure out, well, this is the only amount that we're going to lend to you because uh, we're lending to this business and this business is performing at this this amount. So we are only comfortable lending to you this much money. The rest we won't lend to you. So you have to understand that even though you th may think that you're taking on this big responsibility of a loan and everything, the bank is giving you money based on the performance of the asset. So so that helps you safeguard uh, what you're doing uh, in your business because there's another set of eyes actually looking at it and they're giving you money to help you grow. So it's important to look at uh, look at it as the bank not being your enemy, but actually being your friend and helping you grow as, as another potential strategic business partner. And uh, that is, once you have that shift in your mindset, you can actually work with banks and you can create deeper relationships with banks who can actually help you even in times of need. So that is the other key thing that we talk about. That is another thing that we talk about in real estate is having deep relationships. So having deep relationships with your local banks or you know your regional banks is very important in real estate because in times of need, they can actually help you as well. Um, and uh, and not only in you know not only in the good times, people often also have this fear that you know if they have debt, they're living beyond their means, and that certainly is not true because uh, when you start using that debt towards uh, buying assets like we do, you are actually living more responsibly because uh, because you're making investments into wealth generating tools and assets. You're not splurging that money to buy a Ferrari or buy a Lamborghini, which would definitely be living outside your means, living beyond your means, uh, if you do not have the money to do that. So, you know, in a nutshell, I would say that debt can be good and bad. Uh, it just depends on how you use it. I know that there is a lot of fear about debt. I know that there's a lot of fear about leveraging it. But if you do it smartly, uh, you can really scale your wealth pretty fast and always look at banks as your friends and partners in your business rather than looking at them as the enemy. That would be key to understanding how to how to leverage your debt. Keep in mind that if you go to a banker and you talk to them and tell them, hey, I don't know how your tool works, they will be happy to explain to you how their product works or their loan product, whatever they're using. They will be happy to share that with you and they will be happy to share their underwriting and understanding of um, how that works so that you can get a better understanding of uh, what to do next. Because remember, they are in the business of lending money. They're not in the business of storing your money. The moment your money hits the bank, they lend it out because that's how they make money. So I would say go ahead and understand more about how to use debt and uh, get over this fear of, of debt because it is a great, great tool to help you grow your wealth. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Immigrant Doctor Podcast. If you would like to learn more, head to www.theimmigrantdoctor.com 
See you again soon on another episode and another amazing journey.